jump in. When I was a kid, I played uh, baseball um, from the time I was five years old through high school. I uh, was never super good at it, but I played it. Um, and so my, my childhood is full of memories of hanging out at the ballpark, uh, the Little League ballpark, watching my brothers play, me playing. My dad was almost always our coach. Uh, we practiced in a field, uh, in my field, our field, back behind my house uh, every week multiple times. And, and this before it was crazy, before it was you know, your son, every son is going to be in the majors and, you know, this whole idea that baseball is God and all that kind of stuff. It was before travel leagues and this was just about fun. This was just about hanging out and having a, having a good time playing uh, baseball. I mean, the best part of Little League for me was the snow cone you got after the game. That was what I was excited about. Uh, a comedian named Brian Regan has a great bit about that. You can Google it and look it up later, uh, but it really sums up my whole Little League experience, really, and so I was really there for the snow cone. Um, as a real young kid, I, I, was just, I was just there for that, and, and um, there was, you know, this thing that we did this as a family. This is what we did, this expectation. You played baseball, and, and we just did it as a family, and I liked it. I never, I never was mad about that or anything. I, I, I liked it, but man, I used to when I was real small, I used to kind of get on my coach's nerves because I, there was this one thing where I, was, I would skip around the bases instead of run them because I was convinced that I could skip faster than I could run. <laughs> that used to really get on my coach's nerves. But I was, a guy, I was the kid out in right field. You already know what kind of kid I was because I said right field, right? <laughs> Baseball people were like, oh, we got it. We know you so I was out in right field playing in the dirt, you know, picking up dandelions and tossing them. Sometimes my back was to the whole action, just looking out towards the outfield fence. And my coach would always try to, you know, get me involved. He'd, he'd say things he'd be like, oh, two down, one to go, you know, full, full count, Jake, look alive. And I'd be like, cherry, I want a cherry snow cone after the game. I'm here for the snow cone, coach. I mean, that's just where... I was just there for the snow cones, but in high school, I had a coach that I remember. His name was Coach Odell, and uh, my clearest memory of him was actually before I got into high school, and I was watching my brother Cody play for Coach Odell. My brother Cody was a pitcher, and he was out on the mound pitching middle of the game, and, and co- I remember Coach Odell in the dugout yelling to my brother, throw strikes! You got to throw strikes, Cody! Like he was like strikes. <laughs> Coach, I had no idea. I thought we were supposed to throw something different. Throw strikes. He just kept yelling that over and over and over. But the other clear memory I have of Coach Odell was that when I played for him before each game, right after the warm-ups, we would circle up and take a knee, and he would say this prayer. We would say this prayer um, together. It was a prayer I knew because I grew up in church, and I had memorized it in Sunday school. And I remember the first game that I played for Coach Odell as a freshman, I remember that some of my friends didn't know this prayer, and we were about to do it, and, and Coach looked at me, and he goes, Mills, you know the Lord's Prayer? I was like, yes, sir, I know the Lord's Prayer. He said, I thought you would. You know I went to church. I thought you would. Let's pray it together. And then, then we prayed this prayer. So you might say it differently than me, and that's okay, uh, but let's pray it together right now. Our Father, who art in heaven... Hallowed be your name, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. 
Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. And then there's this add-on at the end of the Lord's Prayer that's actually not in the earliest manuscripts of, of Matthew 6. And how does it go? It goes, yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. So Coach Odell, we prayed the Lord's Prayer at every game. And a lot of you have a memory like that growing up. You prayed the Lord's Prayer maybe in your house, uh, before bedtime, before a meal. Maybe you played, prayed it uh, before some sporting event or something like that. Uh, and maybe, maybe you don't have a lot of memories reciting the Lord's Prayer, but you know about it. You know basically um, what it says. It's, it's kind of become something that we know, something that we recite word for word. But I'm not sure that was Jesus' intent in giving us this model prayer. Because in Luke 11, Jesus is praying and his disciples see him praying. He's modeling what it looks like to pray and to communicate with God. And one of them is just filled with this desire to pray like Jesus prays, to, to communicate with God like he does. Because that's what prayer is about. That's what it is. It's communicating with God, with your eyes open or with your eyes closed, while you're kneeling, while you're standing, while you're in your car, while you're at your house, while you're in your office with music behind in the background or no music at all. Prayer is just communicating with God. And so this disciple, he sees Jesus praying and he wants some of that. And he steps up and he just says, Lord, teach us to pray. It's Luke 11 verse 1. Lord, teach us to pray. And Jesus responds by giving us this model prayer. And it's not so much that he was teaching them and us what to pray as much as he was teaching us how to pray. So in this Teach Us to Pray series, we're breaking down this prayer verse by verse or phrase by phrase and letting it teach us the how of prayer. Because listen, prayer is not supposed to be at the fringe of your faith. It's not supposed to be out in the corners. It's supposed to be the center of your faith. Prayer is supposed to drive your faith. It's a huge deal. Some of you are wanting more of God and you're stuck. Some of you are stuck in your faith and you don't really know why. It's because at the center of your faith where there should be this vibrant prayer life, this constant communication with God, there is a void. There is nothing. There's nothing there where prayer is supposed to be. The height of your prayer life is saying grace at mealtime or night-night prayers with the kids or the occasional God help me throughout the day in your head. And it's so much more than that. Prayer is so much more. Prayer should drive your faith. It should be your refuge, where you run when things go bad. It should be where you run when things are going really well. When you get mad, before you go and talk to that person, before you send the text, before you send the email, before some of you post angry posts on Facebook, you should be praying to God. You should be taking whatever it is that's making you angry to the Lord. It should be this constant flow, this river connecting your heart to God's heart. Not just when you need something, not just when you're making a big decision, but at all times, always. So we've talked about the first part of this prayer, our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. And we've just said that first we pray from a revelation of who God is. He's our Father. We pray from a revelation of who God is. And then last week we tackled the second part, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth 
as it is in heaven. And I just said we, we should pray from God's will. God's will should be the foundation we lay our prayers upon. Today we want to look at the next part, Luke 11, verses 3 and 4. It says this, give us each day our daily bread and forgive us our sins, for we also forgive everyone who sins against us. And then I'll give you the the Matthew version um, here. Matthew chapter 6, verse 11 says, give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. So Jesus is teaching us not just what to pray, but, but how to pray. We pray from a revelation of who God is. We pray from God's will. And now we pray from God's provision. We pray from God's provision. And, and like last week with God's will, I want you to think about the difference between praying for God's provision and praying from God's Provision. We approach God in prayer from this position knowing that we are already provided for, that he has already provided for us, that as we seek his kingdom first, we're provided for. And let me just tell you, we, we're at a disadvantage here when it comes to provision and, and relying on God, depending on God for that provision because many of us Many of us are are rarely in a situation of lack. We're rarely in a situation where we need something. Physically, and many times that's true even spiritually as well. We lack, we don't have this felt need in our lives on a regular basis and physically and spiritually. So this prayer has both physical provision in it and spiritual provision in it. We'll get into both of them as we look at it piece by piece. Let's do that now. Luke 11, 3 says, give us each day our daily bread. So we'll start with those first two words. Give us. Give us. So do you pray with an idea in your head that God's actually going to give you something? Do you pray thinking that God is actually going to answer your prayers, that he's actually going to give you something that you're praying about? Do you, do you pray with this idea, this, like, this is where I go for my needs. This is where I go for provision. I mean, I don't read this prayer as, as begging God to provide. I don't read it as trying to convince God. It's just a simple prayer. Give us this day or each day our daily bread. Almost like it's expected, right? There's this expectancy, not, not entitlement, but expectancy. We, we, don't, we don't have to come to him begging for what we need. We don't approach him like a, like a peasant approaches some stingy king who's got everything everybody needs but is just unwilling to give it to them. That's not, that's not the way we go about this because this is our father in heaven, our father. Just a few verses after the Lord's Prayer in, in Luke and Matthew, Jesus explains this a little bit more. I'll, I'll read you the, the Matthew version. It's Matthew chapter 7, starting in verse 9. It'll be on the screen. He says this, Which one of you, if his son asks him for bread, will give him a stone? Or if he asks for a fish, will give him a serpent? If you then, who are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father in heaven give good things to those who ask him? Your Father in heaven wants to provide for you. You can approach him in prayer with that truth in your heart. You can pray from provision, knowing that God 
loves you and wants to provide good things for his children. The Apostle Paul said it this way in Romans uh, chapter 8, verse 31, says, What then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things? He, he wants to provide for you. He wants to provide for you. So there's this expectancy. But I also want to talk to you about this, this other piece in this uh, prayer here. There's an expectancy that God is going to provide. But there's also this underlying need, this need for him to provide, this dependence, this reliance. Because look at the next part. He says, give us each day. Give us each day. There's this idea that we're going to God every day to receive what we need from him. I mean, and think of it this way. You only pray for provision for, some, for God to provide if you think you need to be provided for, right? The only way you're going to pray that is if you have this felt need in your life. And whether you realize it or not, you were created with need. You were created with this want, you were created with this void, this lack inside of you. From day one, you were in need. And it's never changed. God created you this way on purpose. It's supposed to produce this reliance, this daily dependence on God for everything. There's a hole in your soul that can only be filled by God. You were designed to wake up every single day in need, reaching out crying out, asking. When we think of ourselves as an athlete going to coach Jesus to train, right? And when we think that coach Jesus is going to train us and, and make us stronger and we're going to get strong enough where we can stand on our own, we're going to be strong on our own, we think that we're supposed to be someday independent of coach Jesus, that we can stand on our own without him, that to get to a point where we know what we need to know, understand what we need to understand, have the wisdom we need to have to where we can be independent of coach Jesus and then we don't need him anymore, and we think Coach Jesus is going to say, that a boy, that's my boy, that's my girl, look how strong he is, look how wise she is, I did my work, right? We think Coach Jesus is going to be proud of us because we're standing on our own two feet, like Coach Jesus is going to be happy to say, look at Jake, man, he's strong, he's standing on his own, I did my job, look at him. I've done my duty, we think our, of ourselves as athletes, going to coach Jesus to train, get stronger, so that we can someday be independent of him. Beloved, that's not the way it works. We're not supposed to get stronger and stronger until we stand on our own. We're never supposed to be independent of Jesus because Jesus said in John 15, abide in me. He said, abide in me and I in you, as the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. Verse 5, I am the vine, you are the branches, whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit, for apart from me you can do nothing. Apart from me you can do nothing. 
We're not an athlete training to be self-sufficient. We're a branch that has to be connected to the vine. A branch becomes independent of the vine only to die alone. There is no life for a branch apart from the vine. Give us each day, this day, our daily bread. As we mature in Christ, as we grow closer to him, we realize our need for him even more. Every day we become more and more dependent on Jesus. We can't do anything without Jesus and his resurrection power at work in us. So then our prayer starts to become, God, help me today. I'm not even praying about tomorrow or next year or retirement or, or next week. I need, I'm so dependent on you, God, that I need your help today. I need today's bread, today's mercy, today's forgiveness, today's provision. I mean, be honest. When was the last time you prayed for God to give you food because you needed it? Think about it. When was, not, when was the last time you prayed thinking, if you don't pray, if God doesn't provide, you're not going to get to eat today? Not thank you, God, for this food. Not reciting the Lord's Prayer, give us this day our daily bread. Those things aren't bad, but that's not what I'm talking about. When were you actually, when was the last time you were actually worried you wouldn't get to eat today if God didn't give you bread? Most of us struggle with this. Like, I don't need, I don't need God for bread. I got bread in the pantry. I don't need God for money. I got skills and abilities and a job that provide me money. Now, I don't need God for my retirement. I got that taken care of in my pension and my 401k. Give us, give us this day, each day. There's this expectancy that God will provide, but there's also this underlying need, this dependence, this reliance on God every single day. Listen, self-sufficiency glorifies us, like us getting stronger and stronger, going to coach Jesus and getting stronger so that we can stand on our own. That glorifies me, right? But dependence, continued constant dependence on God through Jesus, on the Holy Spirit to make it this day, each day, that glorifies God. You see the difference? Give us this day. And then this prayer of provision, it mentions daily bread. Give us each day our daily bread. Everybody say daily bread. Okay, here's, here's what I want to say about this. Um, I mentioned earlier Matthew 7 where Jesus said, if you who are evil, evil fathers know how to give good gifts to your kids, how much more does your Father in heaven want to give you good things? And then Romans 8 where the Apostle Paul said, if God gave us Jesus, he'll give us all things, right? I think taking those in context, it'd be hard to say that God will give you whatever you want. I don't think that's what it's saying. Like if you just have to ask. Just ask God for a Ferrari and you'll get a Ferrari. Like that's not, I know that's not true because I asked, okay? So it didn't work. So I don't think that's really what it's saying here. It says bread. It says give us this day our daily bread. We're talking about bread, not like a chain of Panera restaurants, okay? Let's see the difference. Like if we're talking about provision within God's 
will, within his will for your life. So that means whatever you need to live the way God wants you to live and to do what he wants you to do. You don't have to twist God's arm for that. You don't have to beg God for that. You don't have to prove yourself or perform for God so that you can get that. To get whatever it is you need to live the way you're supposed to live, God wants you to live, and to do what God is calling you to do. He's already provided for that. He wants to provide for that. You can pray from provision within that idea. If you let, if you let this truth sink into your heart, you'll, if you really believe it, it can change a lot for you because now, now you don't have to be afraid. Now you don't have to worry that you're not going to get enough, that you're not going to have enough, right? You, you don't have to make decisions based on lack. You can make decisions based on this confidence that God is going to provide everything I need to live the way he wants me to live and to do the things he wants me to do. So if things are tight and difficult, I'm okay because God's providing and I'm living from God's provision. And if I have more than I need and I'm living in abundance, that doesn't consume me because I know that God's giving me Whatever I need to live the way he's called me to live and do what he's called me to do. I live from God's provision. But this, this prayer of provision, it doesn't, it doesn't end there. Jesus is teaching us not just what to pray, but how to pray. And he goes on from physical provision to spiritual provision. And in other words, this ain't just about bread, right? Look at it with me. Back to Luke 11. It says, give us each day our daily bread and what? Forgive us our what? Sins or trespasses, debts, whatever you want to say. Okay, so forgive us our sins. Okay, so now it's not just physical. God provides for us spiritually as well. And the number one thing God provides for us spiritually is forgiveness. And that's good because it's the number one thing we need Spiritually, it's the crux of the gospel message. You were not just born with this physical want and this physical need. You were born, I was born, with this spiritual deficiency, this spiritual need as well. We were born in need of rescue, in need of saving. We were born sinful, in need of forgiveness for this sin that lives inside of us. And not just, not just as in sinful behaviors and thoughts, and words, but, but those sinful behaviors, thoughts, and words, those are tied back to a condition of sinfulness that you were born into. That's why good behavior and good works and good words and good thoughts aren't enough. Because what you're dealing with is a condition of sinfulness that you were born in. Before you took any action, had any thought or any word, you were sinful. So we need God's supernatural forgiveness for that. Give us each day our daily bread and forgive us our sins. This is, this is so big. You are in need of forgiveness, in need of rescue. If you don't believe that, then there's no reason that you would ever surrender your life over to Jesus. All of us, according to Ephesians 2, are born broken. We're in need of this forgiveness. I know this because over the like, last like 10 years of raising toddlers, 
I have at times had bite marks on my body. Because even the cutest baby or the cutest toddler will bite you, right? If you've had toddlers, maybe it's been a while, you forgot, all right? The wound's healed. But it's been not too long ago for me because I have a three-year-old. So what's up with that? I mean, it's funny, but in the end, they're going, I'm frustrated. What's the answer? Physical violence is the answer, right? That's what they're doing. Where did that come from? Like, we don't, we don't watch violent cartoons in our house. We don't teach violence in our house. Like, where do they learn it from? Like, Aaron and I, we don't bite people. <laughs> we just don't. I mean, they are learning some wicked things from us, all right? Especially me. But we're not going to talk about those today. We're not going to talk about that. But where do my kids intrinsically get, I will inflict pain on someone for depriving me of what I want. I'll tell you, they've got wicked little hearts. (laughs) They need to be redeemed. Kennedy, my daughter, I love her. She's awesome, but she has a wicked little heart, and she needs to be redeemed. My son Joshua, I miss him. He's my buddy. I miss him when I'm out of town. I can't wait to get back and play and hang out and run around. I love that dude, but he has a wicked little heart. He needs to be redeemed. My daughter Hannah, every time I think about it, she's my joy. I, I smile just to think about her face. She's awesome, but she has a wicked little heart. She needs to be redeemed. I'm begging God for it. I'm begging God to redeem my kids. Listen, you're not going to be able to fix it. Your lust, your, you're not going to be able to fix it. Your bitterness, you, you're not going to be able to fix it. Your rage, anger, that stuff that's been following you around, those deviances that have been following you around for years, maybe decades, you're not going to be able to fix it. You don't have the power of life and death. You don't have the power to raise back to life that which is dead. Christ does. Your only hope is Jesus Christ. That's why we run to him for spiritual provision. That's why we run to him for forgiveness. Bread, yeah, and forgiveness. You were born with this lack, this need, so that you would rely on God alone for this provision. And one more thing on this, we're... We're talking about praying from God's provision, not just for it. If you've surrendered your life to Christ, you can approach him with a confidence that you are already forgiven, even if you just messed up again. You can approach him with this confidence that you are already forgiven because I think there's this idea in church that once we give our lives to Jesus, we're good to go. Like we don't, we, we don't need to ask for forgiveness anymore. We're not going to mess up anymore. Uh, or at least one day we're going to get to a place where we're strong enough to, to be able to not mess up and not need to go back for forgiveness. Back to the athlete going to coach Jesus to get strong so that he can be independent of him. But that's not what's going on here. You're not an athlete going to coach Jesus. You're a branch. You're a branch that can only live connected to the vine. He is the vine. You're supposed to run back to him. You're supposed to find forgiveness in him. Going back to Jesus because you messed up again doesn't mean you're not saved. It means you are. It means you are saved. Because Romans 8.1 says, There is now no, there is therefore now no condemnation for those 
who are in Christ Jesus. Praise God for Romans 8. That there's no condemnation for me. If I'm in Christ Jesus, there's no one who can condemn me, accuse me. There's no high court that'll sentence me to anything. There's no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Isn't that good news? I thought maybe three or four Christians would get excited about that. Good job, guys. The rest of you, give your lives to Jesus. Because you'll find that there's no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. And that'll be something to get excited about. Much more than like a football game or what you like the snow that you're excited about. I'm trying to think about things you're excited about. Is it the snow? Yeah. So something you're excited much more than that. You'll go like, whoa. In Christ Jesus, there's no condemnation. I mean, isn't that awesome? There's just one row in this room who understands that there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Go home today and ask God, God, get me excited about the fact that there's now no condemnation for me if I'm in Christ Jesus. This is good news because it's God going, hey, come to me. Every time I'll forgive you. Every time I'll give you grace. Every time. There's stuff we're working on. There's an end goal here. We're going somewhere. But I'm not going to leave you all by yourself in the meantime. Come to me. I'll forgive you. Rely on me, press in, keep going, keep confessing, keep leaning into the forgiveness I have provided in Jesus. I hope you're getting this. I don't have time to stay here long, but I hope you're getting it. Some of you are living in condemnation, scared to lean into the spiritual provision of God because you think he'll be mad. If you tell him you messed up, you think he has this expectation of you that you should be farther along than you are. You shouldn't need him as much. Others of you don't even realize your great daily need for God's forgiveness. That you're broken and you can't fix yourself. No matter which one you are, you're a branch. Disconnected. From the vine. There's nothing but death waiting for a branch like that. So go back to the vine. Go back to the vine. Let's circle back around to our text, Luke 11. It says, forgive us our sins for we ourselves forgive everyone who is indebted to us. That's ESV. The NIV has it like this. Forgive us our sins for we also forgive everyone who sins against us. Ah, man, don't you wish he would have stopped at, like, bread? That would have been better. Or forgive us our sins, not this last. Now he's talking like, Jesus, please, don't talk about me forgiving other people. I was good with you forgiving me. But here we are studying one of the most recited passages of all time, the Lord's Prayer, and it very clearly, Jesus very clearly ties the forgiveness we receive from God to the forgiveness others receive from us. I mean, it's a crazy thing, isn't it? I mean, it kind of assumes that we forgive others if you're praying this prayer. Like, forgive us, for we forgive others. And not just others, but it says everyone. I mean, wouldn't it be great if it just said some other people? Like, forgive us our sins, for we forgive other people sometimes. But it didn't say that. It said, forgive us our sins, for we also forgive everyone who sins against us. 
It's automatic. It's assumed. And Jesus knew this would be hard for us to understand. He knew that you would go, you would kind of parse it out and you'd go, yeah, but what does for mean and because and is it supposed to be before it? And I don't know, is this a contingent clause or not? And, and he, he knew that you would try to get around this. And so he said, like, like the verse in Matthew 6, the verse after uh, Jesus says the Lord's Prayer, verse 14, 13, and lead us not into temptation but deliver us from evil. Verse 14, very next verse For if you forgive others their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their trespasses, neither will your Father forgive your trespasses. Ah! Don't you wish verse 14 and 15 weren't in there? Because we could kind of go different ways on the Lord's Prayer, but that was pretty clear, wasn't it? Jesus is like, hold up, let me explain this. If you follow Jesus, forgiveness is not a choice you make. It's a choice you made because when you received Jesus as your Lord and Savior, if you started following him, you signed up for forgiveness. As far as Jesus is concerned, you can't be one of his and choose not to forgive. It's impossible because when you became a Christian, you accepted the forgiveness of God yourself. You said at one point in your life, give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our sins. You accepted the forgiveness of God, and you can't accept the forgiveness of God and not give it out to others as well, because it says, forgive us our sins, for we also forgive everyone. And that may sound impossible. Maybe you've been hurt pretty bad by some pretty messed up people. This may sound like a dead end, like, well, if that's that's the case, and I'm out, I can't. I can't let go of that. I, I can't get past that. I can't forgive them. You don't know what they did to me. I can't. I can't do it. Well, you're right. You can't. But maybe that's the point. When we're talking about provision. We pray from God's provision. Listen, you can't forgive these people on your own, by your own strength, by your own power. But God, God can give you the strength to do that, can he? What is impossible for man is what? Possible. That was an easy one. That was an easy one. Because it was just impossible but without the I am at the front, you know. Impo- what's impossible for man is what? possible for God. So he can give you the power to do this. He provided you a way, a way for you to be forgiven, but he's also provided you a way to forgive others. What I'm saying is God's grace not only, God's grace not only flows to you, but it flows through you as well. His supernatural grace, it not only flows to you, but it can supernaturally flow through you because Jesus is not the coach from the dugout yelling, throw strikes. He's not telling you just what to do. He's telling you how to do it, and he's giving you the power to do it. Jesus isn't standing on the sideline of your life, the dugout of your life, screaming, forgive others. Like, oh, I didn't know. I didn't know I was supposed to forgive others. Thanks, Jesus. He's not doing that. He's giving you the power and the grace to forgive others. You see the difference? Just lean into him for that. One of the disciples sees Jesus praying, and he just, 
has this deep desire to pray like Jesus prays, to communicate with God like Jesus does, because that's all prayer is. It's communication with God. And so he steps up and he goes, Lord, teach us to pray. And Jesus says, pray like this. Say it with me from the screen. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us each day our daily bread. Forgive us our sins, for we also forgive everyone who sins against us. Pray from a revelation of who God is. Pray from God's will. And pray from God's provision, physically and spiritually. Bread and forgiveness. Next week, we'll study the last part and lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Let's pray. Thank you, Jesus, for your goodness and your mercy that it covers all of our sins, that your word says that it covers all of our sins, that you are faithful to forgive us. As we surrender our lives to you, you forgive us. Thank you, Jesus, for that. God, I thank you for your provision, both the bread and the forgiveness. I ask that you would help us to somehow live, to think, to pray from that provision, with that provision in our hearts and minds as already taken care of, that you will give us everything we need to live the way you want us to live, to do what you want us to do. I pray for those in this room who have yet to feel their great and deep and lasting need for you. Maybe they've kind of got everything taken care of. Physically, they're good. Financially, they're good. Emotionally, they're pretty good too. They've got relationships that seem to bring happiness in their lives and they struggle to find that need. I pray, God, Holy Spirit, you would speak clearly in such a way to them that it would cut through the confusion and the fog in their lives around their mind and that they would see clearly and feel clearly this deep need for you, this deep spiritual need for you, and that their answer would not be to reach out for a bunch of other things to fill that void, but that they would reach first to you and ask you to fill that void in their lives. As we continue in an attitude of prayer, I don't want you to leave here without an opportunity to make that decision. We've got prayer workers at the side. They'll be there during the song. You can talk to them during the song or after. But even right now in your own words, if you have yet to feel that need, to to recognize that need for Jesus and to give your life to him, just do it right now. Just ask him to make it clear to you and then surrender your life to him. There's no... No magic words to say. It's just a desire in your heart. Ask the Holy Spirit to transform your life and to make you new. God, I pray for those of us who are your followers. I pray, God, that you would help us to live out your forgiveness and your grace that you've shown so freely to us. I pray that we would somehow realize our deep daily need for you spiritual and physical. We would run to you before we run anywhere else. In Jesus' name. Everybody said, amen. Amen. Why don't you stand with me? Here's my prayer for you. When you close your eyes, 
in silence and stillness, may you find deep within your soul a great need, angst, a void that can only be filled by Jesus. And may you run to him for your provision, both physically and spiritually. And may you do that not just once or twice, but each day. God bless you. Thank you for coming. We'll sing a little bit of this song. We're running out of time. Make sure you talk to your life group about this. If you're not in a life group, stop at Connection Central and get plugged in. As always, my challenge to you is that you don't let this end with you, that you be a Jesus follower who makes and disciples other Jesus followers. God bless you. We'll see you next week for the last week in our Teach Us to Pray series.